Hi there, podcast listeners. Market pretty much a little bit up today, it looks like. I mean, it's a good day to start the week, I guess, in a way. But we got some articles we got to be able to talk about, as I think a lot of you would find interesting to help you understand a little bit more of market conditions that can be happening in the future. First things first, we're going to be talking about some uh, two countries, in fact. One of them is actually a U.S. state within the United States on their plans right now to help lower carbon emissions, potentially. One of these places is actually going through with a project to help lower their carbon footprint, while the other is canceling currently right now. We're then also going to be talking about computer chip giant ASML, who's placing a big bet on a little tiny future. Then we're also going to be talking about the baby formula shortage and how things are things might be looking a little bit better going forward. And finally, we're going to be talking about an article that came out about the American people and their emergency savings currently right now and how it could relate to a potential recession. And also this ties in a little bit with Deere, who just reported earnings last week, which will give us a better idea of a recession for both sides of the story. With that being said, guys, as I always say at the beginning of these podcasts, I am not a financial advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please speak to your own financial advisors before making any financial decisions as they understand your financial situation a little bit better. This podcast is for entertainment purposes and for information for those who wish to seek it out currently. Let's begin today's podcast. Panama to develop largest advanced biorefinery to make low-carbon aviation fuel. From New York, the government of Panama and energy companies, including SGP Bioenergy, plan to develop a major advanced biorefinery to increase its supply of low-carbon aviation fuel, the company said Wednesday. This, This report came out on May 18th, by the way. The move comes as the airline industry seeks to achieve a goal of zero net carbon emissions by 2050, and as governments worldwide are pressing companies to increase clean energy investment. The biorefinery in Panama will produce 180,000 barrels per day, or 2.6 billion gallons per year, of biofuels including sustainable aviation fuel, SAF, and renewable marine diesel when it is completed at the end of 2026. The project joins a flurry of other announcements from companies that have pledged that in the last few years to produce an SAF, the airline industry is considered harder to decarbonize than any other type of transportation. So a massive ramp up in SAF output would uh, will be needed for aviation to reach net zero. Production will, will have to rise from an estimated 8 billion liters or 211 million U.S. gallons to, to in 2025 to nearly 450 billion liters or 119 billion U.S. gallons in 2015. 2050, according to an analysis from the International Air Transport Association. SAF produces lower emissions than traditional petroleum-based jet fuels. Um, By utilizing feedstock, including soybean oil, using cooking oil, and tallow. But it is more expensive to produce. The Panama Project has already secured the contract to produce feedstock, said Randy Latang, chief executive of SGB Bioenergy though he did not discuss further details. The new biorefinery will repurpose existing bunker fuel oil terminals on both the Atlantic and Pacific side of the country in Cologne and Balboa, uh, respectively, Latang said. I'm interested to know what this is going to potentially cause for food prices going forward. I mean, it's good that they want to try to go to net zero, but it also seems like 
it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. You either go net zero on these carbon dioxide and low carbons, but then you also have to increase food. And I don't know if people are willing to continue to pay more for food in the long run. I mean, unless we can figure out how to make food cheaper to make, and I'm sure there's someone out there working on it, but to me, it just seems a little weird. I mean, it's nice to know that Panama is doing it because it's going to help the airline industry in the long run. But then it goes into the pockets of the consumers for food. And it says here, Panama is not a producer of crude or natural gas, but serves as an energy transit point through both the Panama Canal and the Trans-Panama Pipeline. So the thing with these uh, current companies right now, if you actually look into them, they have their stock prices are pretty low. I believe most of them, if I remember looking into, were like under $20 a share. So if you think this is the future, that is something to look into. Now, I had mentioned at the beginning that there is a state in the United States that's doing the complete opposite, potentially for low carbon. Chevron and Schlumberger withdraw request for California carbon capture permit. Oh, California, you do some weird things sometimes. Top U.S. energy companies Chevron and Schlumberger have withdrawn an application to capture carbon dioxide emissions and store them deep underground in Central California, spokesman person said on Wednesday. This article was released actually on the 18th as well, around the same time as the Panama story was released on Wednesday, putting the clean energy project on hold after the U.S. governmental regulators questioned it. Burring, burring industrial Gases has become a focus for energy companies seeking to show investors they are willing to reduce emissions and help fight climate change. Their permit was one of more than a dozen filled with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA for short, which requested the application be withdrawn. In a March 25th letter, the EPA said the application was substantially incomplete, citing changes to the application and failure to supply financial assurances. The company, the companies have formed a venture to re revive an uh, idled biomass fuel power plant and generate carbon negative power in Mendota near Fresno, California. The project included an underground carbon sequestration site and the, that would remove about 300,000 tons, no correction, yeah, 300,000 tons of carbon dioxide a year. The EPA uh, did, did the right thing by hitting the brakes on the Mendota carbon carb capture project, said Victoria Bogdan, an attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity. Carbon capture is a risky, expensive, and incapable with environmental justice. No, it's probably something along the lines of they want more money in the long run. And is California being a little hypocritical? Maybe. I mean, I don't know the full details fully behind pushing carbon dioxide into the ground. I looked into this before recording this podcast, and a lot of it went over my head. The main gist of it, it sounds like, is they're sucking CO2 out of the air and putting it into empty oil wells and then trying to make sure it stays down there. And if I'm not mistaken, it was like it goes down like 2,800 feet or something into the ground. And so maybe one of these days, if this podcast channel keeps growing more, that we can be able to bring someone on who, and when we have to talk about the oil industry, that we can bring someone on who understands this subject a little bit more and be able to talk to them about it. So we can get a better understanding of what these oil companies are trying to do. But right now, it just seems like California is stepping, a, quote, the wrong direction currently right now. I mean, all I've ever heard is California is going to be the example state for green energy. And yet when we try to put CO2 into the ground, they're kind of rejecting it because of, as they put it, 
a failure to supply financial assurances. And before that, citing changes to the application. Why did the application change? Usually governments are the ones who have to change the application in order for things to go through. So it seems a little hypocritical if you ask me. But what do I know? I'm not a politician. I'm just a podcaster on right now. So if someone can answer that in uh, Sacramento, that'd be nice in the long run. So next article, computer chip giant ASML places big bets on a tiny future. From the Netherlands, a semiconductor in, in industry and stock market giants have to think smaller or maybe bigger. It is building machines the size of double-decker buses weighing more than 200 tons in the quest to produce beams of focusing light that create the microscopic uh, circuitry on computer chips used in everyday form um, from phones and laptops to cars and AI. The company has enjoyed a rosy decade. It sharps its shares leaping 1,000% to take its value past 200 billion in euros as it swept up most of the world's business for the lithographic system. It's now preparing to roll out a new 400 million machine for next generation chips, which it hopes it will be its flagship by the late 2020s, but for now remains as remains an engineering challenge. Executives at ASML headquarters in the Dutch town of Veldhoven told Reuters a prototype was on track uh, to be completed in the first half of 2023. They said the company and longtime R&D partner IMEC was setting up a test lab on the spot, a first. So top chip makers and their suppliers can explore the machine's properties and prepare to use production models as early as 2025. Yet as investors expect further dominance and growth to justify ASML's valuation at 35 times 2021 earnings, there is little margin for error should the company encounter technical or supply chain snags. Quote, every check is green right now, said Christopher Foket, head of EUV, EUV programs at ASML. But you don't know. We will have to see if it all assembled together. EUV stands for extreme ultraviolet and wavelength of light used by ASML's most advanced machines. It's going to be interesting to see if this actually does go through. I mean... The chip world is interesting. We use all chips for almost everything. And all I've ever heard, at least for the last few years, is there's a chip shortage. And will the will this make chip shortages happen a little bit more if they're building machines the size of double-decker buses just to create new chips? Don't know. It's just something to think about because, I mean, a lot of chips are made in... Not Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a little part of it, but most of it are made in Taiwan. And we've talked about this in the past with the chips. And then obviously some are made in Europe and then a very few are made in the United States. So in the long run, it's what's going to end up happening with these chips if this happens. The article goes on to say, first light on silicon. Since 2000, ASML has rapidly taken market share from Japanese competitors Nikon and Canon which now mainly focuses on older technology. ASML controls more than 90% of the lithographic market. No competitor is attempting to build an EUV system citing high development costs. Shortages of ASML machines, which cost up to 160 million each, are a bottleneck for chip makers who have plans to spend more than 100 billion in the coming years to build extra fabrication plants to meet the demand. The high NA machine will be about 30% bigger than their predecessors, which themselves requires three Boeing 747s to carry them in sections. IMEC, a nonprofit research group, 
and cooperates with companies across the semiconductor industry believe setting up a lab at ASML could save up a year in development time. ASML said it had five orders for pilot machines, which should be delivered in 2024, and more than five orders from five different customers for faster production models for delivery starting in 2025. But this is no slam dunk. There is a formidable challenge in integrating a, ho a host of complex components, including optic system of polished hyper smooth curved mirrors, which are being built in a vacuum by Germany, Carl Zeiss. It's going to be interesting. Like I said, chip makers are always having bottleneck issues, it seems like. So maybe this will help. Who knows? But it is something to keep an eye out for to see what happens. Now, some good news that's happening on the baby formula side of things. On Friday, it was reported that um, Danone wraps up its U.S. baby formula shiplet, shipments to address shortage from London. Um, Atmill maker Danon has stepped up its shipments of infant formula from Europe to address a shortage in the United States. According to U.S. Customs data and an analyst from Ocean Cargo Data by Shipping Consultancy Ocean Audit for Rudders, Danon, the world's second largest baby milk formula maker, but a relative small player in the United States, shipped more of its product from Britain and the Netherlands by ocean freight through a Nutricia North American arm. This followed a February 17th recall by top manufacturer Abut Laboratories, who recalled dozens of types of the uh, Similac, Alimentum, and Ellie Care formulas, creating one of the most urgent food shortages in recent history for U.S. families. Between January and May, um, Danon's uh, Nutricia division more than tripled its ocean imports to North America and more than 90% was delivered to the United States, said Steve, CEO of Ocean Audit, which analyzes which which analyzes the data exclusively for rudders. Quote, we understand how important it is for families to have access to specialized formulas, which is why our absolute priority has been to increase production and supply of these medical formulas to serve the most vulnerable babies since the shortages arose in February. On May 10th, three days before U.S. Uh, President Joe Biden took uh, to the airwave about his plan to address the baby formula shortage, the independent quest sailed into the port of Philadelphia to deliver 42,000 cans of Danone formula. So the baby formula shortage is starting to look a little bit better. In fact, this morning it's being reported that military planes carrying 39 tons of baby formula arrives in the U.S., from Indianapolis, enough specialty infant formula for more than half a million baby bottles arrived Sunday in Indianapolis. The first of several flights carrying infant formula from Europe expected this week to relieve the deepening shortage in the U.S. The formula weighing 78,000 pounds or 39 tons was being transported by military plane. Uh, White House Press Secretary Karen Jean-Pierre told reporters aboard Air Force One as President Biden flew from South Korea to Japan. I was actually going to talk about that too. President Biden was in South Korea and he was at some ship plant, if I'm not mistaken. And I was originally going to talk about that, but decided to go against it because there was other things to talk about. So I don't know why he's in Japan or South Korea and Japan. There must be a summit happening, but we, we still need to talk about that a little bit later. Maybe the Biden administration, which has struggled to address the nationwide shortage of formula, particularly hypoallergic variants, have, have dubbed the effort Operation Fly Formula. The crisis flows. Uh, follows the closure of the nation's largest domestic manufacturing plant in Michigan in February due to safety issues. Quote, typically the process to transport this product from Europe to the U.S. would take two weeks. Thanks to Operation Fly Formula, we cut that down to approximately three days, Jean-Pierre said. 
This is a testament of the president's commitment to putting every lever to get more infant formula onto the market. And Operation Fly Formula is one tool that we would be using to do so. I have to just say this right now. This wouldn't have happened if there were only three or four companies within the United States that were controlling the baby formula market. While at the same time, this also would not have happened if they don't have if they didn't have such strict regulations on the labels that had to be on these products as well that I believe the US government passed. I mean, a lot of these issues can be tied back to Washington a little bit. And I'm also curious to know when the upcoming election comes because the midterms are coming up how are the american people going to question a lot of these policies that are in place if people understand that there are only three or four companies that control the baby formula sector and at the same time if they also understood too that the baby formulas issue is also a labeling issue as well these are questions that people should be asking but at the same time i don't think will be asked most people don't seem to care. They just want their their nice, easy life sometimes. But the market is just going to keep dominating in ways if there's only a couple of companies that control the baby formula. Last thing about this article before we move on. The White House has said 132 pallets from Nestle uh, formula was to leave Ramston Air Base in Germany for the U.S. Another 114 pallets of, pallets of Gerber good start um, extension HA formula were expected to arrive in the coming days. Altogether, about 1.5 million eight ounce bottles for the three formulas, which are hypoallergic for children with cow milk protein allergy, are expected to arrive this week. The flights are authorized by Mr. Biden. And the other the other uh, formulas that are coming from Nestle are uh, Nestle's Health Science Alphamino Infant and Alphamino Junior formula. So. These are questions people should be asking. I mean, this is still probably going to cause a shortage to happen because there won't be enough and people will start panic buying because they want to be able to feed their kids. And granted, Abot Laboratories is a few weeks away from being able to get their product out to the people, but it's still, there's probably going to be shortages. And in my honest opinion, I think shortages are going to last until maybe September at the latest, if we're really going to push it to the end of the year. So... It's going to get messy and granted they can bring this in. But the question at the end of the day still is where's the money coming from to pay for this, to ship this stuff in? It's probably coming from our taxes here in the United States, but who knows? Last few articles before we end today's podcast, emergency savings take a hit as households adjust their finances amid high inflation study shows from CNBC. It appears Emergency savings are another casualty of high inflation. About one third of adults are contributing less to emergency funds so that they're able to cover their everyday expenses, expenses, according to research from the New York Life Insurance. The average reduction in monthly contributions to those emergency accounts is $243, with the millennials making the biggest cut at $289. Quote, quote, while it is concerning that the increased cost of everyday Everyday goods and regular expenses may deflate a necessary financial cushion. This environment means households are making calculated decisions about how to adjust their financial strategy in the way to make the most sense for them, said Dylan Hung, head retirement and wealth management solutions at New York Life. Inflation is running at 8.3% year over year, according to the most recent measure from the U.S. Bureau of Statistics. Although that's down slightly from the March peak of 8.5%, wow, by 0.2%. 
it's still the fastest annual pace in about four decades and far above the Federal Reserve target of 2%. The Fed has already raised a key interest rate two times this year in an effort to slow the pace of inflation that is expected to continue notching hikes this year. The idea is that the cost of borrowing rises, consumers will rein in their spending and result and the resulting lower demand for goods and services will slow price increases. Beyond reduced emergency saving contributions, inflation also is causing households to delay some financial goals, putting off vacation at 33%, paying off credit card debt 22%, buying a car at 22%, and buying a home at 16%, according to New York Life Research. At the same time, long-term savings are being less impacted. 72% of those surveys said they still expected to retire at their desired age. Quote, among those not yet retired, we're seeing this group making necessary adjustments to their financial strategies while not allowing short-term anxiety to derail their to, do, to derail their plans for retirement. No, that's not good. We actually talked about this in a podcast last week about how emergency savings were being dipped into and well, apparently they were, quote, shrugging off the inflation. I don't believe that one bit, okay? Because in that same article, they were shrugging off inflation. They said they were using credit cards to pay for their lifestyle. That's never a good thing. If you as an individual are going into debt, that it's not a good news, okay? If people are having to use credit cards, it means it costs too much for things right now. And it also means we've printed too much money. I expect there's going to be a crunch even more soon, potentially in the making. Because it's got me thinking, if the consumer's potentially going to be feeling it, how's the construction energy, construction um, sector going to feel it as well? And we got a little bit of an idea of where things might be heading. Do your supply chain issues hit revenue? Shares plunge. On Friday... Uh, Deer missed Wall Street's revenue targets and said it was having difficulty securing parts for its heavy machinery, sending shares down 14%. Deer gave a strong profit forecast for the full year that was overshadowed by comments that many of the machines it intended to sell were on hold because of supply chain issues. The company had only missed sales expectation once in the previous 10 quarters. It was expected that the agriculture equipment maker would post net sales of $13.2 billion, but revenue came in at 12 billion. 0.2 billion. Although the machinery giant was weathered the storm of supply chain bottlenecks, revenue nearly 9% low, um, 9% below analysis consensus suggests that the raw material shortage, compounded by inflationary pressures, are starting to take their toll. Quote, I don't think the street was thinking this could happen because expectations were um, elevated, quite frankly, said Stephen Volkman, senior machinery analysis at Jefferies. Their guidance for full year tells you that they think that they're going to improve. Shares fell 14% trading at $311.84. The reason why I said we need to pay attention to deer, when a recession hits, at least from the past, according to Associated Trading Services, heavy equipment tends to get hit during a recession. It says here, there is no doubt that during a recession, the construction industry starts to suffer. At least certain areas like home building suffers. In general, however, as governments look to spend their way out of recession, they often turn towards infrastructure. This means roads, rail, ports, and new schools and hospitals, and of course, jobs for heavy equipment operators. If we do have negative growth next quarter, the construction industry is going to probably get hit the hardest, like it did in 2008. 
In fact, there was an article back in 2014 called Instructor um, Construction Equipment Among Quickest Recovering Industry from Recession Contributes the Econ economic value of the entire state according like i said this was in 2014 according to a new study of the construction equipment industry released tuesday by the association of equipment manufacturers the industry among the quickest to recover from the throes of the great recession and contributions nearly four times its market share and value to the u.s economy there are things we need to be worried about potentially or maybe we don't need to worry about it as much but I, I kind of see some storms coming. People are tapping into their emergency savings. People are using credit cards to pay for their lifestyle. Deer recently was just hit due to supply chain issues. If we have one more negative quarter, then it will be official that we're in a quote unquote recession in the United States. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I think the economy will eventually bounce back. I'm just reporting what I'm seeing right now. And granted, maybe what I'm reading is just them trying to sell more clicks on their websites. But history has a way of showing us that when, when things are bleak for both the consumer and the heavy machinery industry, then we're technically in a recession. I mean, everything's pointing to it right now. And you personally might not feel it right now. Or you might never feel it, but... If we don't pay attention to what's happening around us, there's a high probability that we probably will be in a recession soon. And that's weird to think, especially when we've had a, a couple of good years under our belt. So these are things you need to keep out for people. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that the baby formula shortage might come to an end a little bit, but if people are using savings and credit cards to get their stuff that they need, then that to me is a huge issue in the making. And like I said, at the same time, the construction industry is another thing that you got to pay attention to. And we do know that housing, at least it was reported last week in our podcast, that housing was cooling off. So these are things to keep out for, keep an eye out for people. But that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode in general. I ask too that if you have enjoyed it, that you please follow this podcast and share it with friends or family if you think they'd actually enjoy it as well as we continue to grow this podcast. It'd be great to get the word out to people so that they know what's happening around them in the market since we don't always get to hear about everything that's happening when you watch CNBC or Fox Business. And if we keep growing this podcast, we can be able to do other things on this podcast hopefully going forward as well. Like I said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.